Okay, we are live. How you doing, everybody? And hope you're all having a great Wednesday. Man, we got a great episode in store for you today here on the John Riley Project. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about you know, sort of the aftermath of this overturning of Roe versus Wade. You know, kind of some of my share some of my comments. I kind of covered a little bit of this a few weeks ago, but there's a couple of new angles I kind of want to present a little bit about um, personal rights and economic rights and kind of looking at abortion within this context. So we're going to kind of break down the Roe versus Wade you know, a case by the Supreme Court. And that sort of uh, tees up really the kind of the primary point I wanted to get to is that's what is a right? I mean, what does that mean to have a right to something? You know, because in this podcast, I always talk about our inalienable rights of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So what is a right? You know, so we're going to I mean, there's a lot of people have different opinions on that. So we're going to talk about that. And then finally, uh, I just want to share my review of the Epic series Billy the Kid. So I just finished that and uh, really enjoyed it. And I kind of want to share some thoughts on it. Uh, and it's got actually some interesting themes in that show that are consistent with a lot of the ideas and topics we discuss on this podcast. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, this is a live stream, of course. So I welcome your thoughts and opinions. Feel free to type them in on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, they'll appear here on my screen. I'll read your comments and questions on the air and we will have a dialogue. So let's get to it here. Um, we're going to take a look first at, yeah, let's, let's kind of reset. I mean, if you haven't been paying attention, you probably know what's going on already, right? If you, I mean, most everyone already is, but just to kind of set the stage. Okay, the, the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, and they had their rationale for it. But, you know, this has created an uproar, as I expected it would. And now, ultimately, states can determine whether or not they'll allow abortion under which rules. And already states are, you know, they've been preparing for this moment. They had established laws for abortion should Roe v. Wade be overturned. And cases like California, they reinforced a woman's right to choose. States like Colorado have done it. And there's been a number of other states that have. And then there's a whole variety of other states that have, have had laws on the books that were triggered uh, if Roe was overturned, that they were going to restrict abortion or in some cases make abortion completely illegal. And that's what the state of Missouri has done. And there's a number of other states that have greatly restricted abortion. And for some people, this is horrific, you know, that we're seeing this right of women rolled back. Um, and at the same time, we're seeing uh we're seeing, you know, other people that are overjoyed. They're finally, you know, we, we're seeing, you know, uh, we're protecting the children. And, and so we can all kind of see it from different perspectives. But, you know, my opinion on this is I'm a big supporter of a woman's right to choose. Now, here we already have a comment from an anonymous user on Facebook that says, you know what I hate about this? It's the biggest victory yet for the children. Um, politics and Roe versus Wade has absolutely nothing to do with babies. You know, that's an interesting point, too, uh, because it really I mean, according to the definition, a baby is not is not a fetus. It's not an embryo. They're very different. Babies are what are born. Um, uh, a a so-called, quote unquote, child in the womb isn't a baby. It's not really even a child. It's a fetus. It's a it's not a human. It's a potential human. So yeah, I think that's kind of part of the argument here is that is this really about the children or is this really about control 
over women or limiting their right to their own body. So it's this is a very fundamental issue. And it's it's obvious why so many people have such varying and differing opinions on it. Um, so, uh, you know, I I told you earlier on this, I, I am so wrong on this particular issue, particularly because. I never thought this would happen. I was talking with my friend Charlie Sellers, and he mapped it out like over a year ago that he saw the overturning of Roe versus Wade coming. And I said, yeah, you know, of course, they've appointed more conservative judges, but I just can't imagine they'd overturn this because it would upset so many people. And sure enough, it has upset so many people, but it's almost like they don't care. And well over half of America, if not three quarters of America, are supportive of a woman's right to choose. Some, some at, you know, through all nine months of pregnancy, some in a limited window of their pregnancy. Um, you know, f- for me, I, I'm a, I'm a supportive of it for the entire pregnancy, at least from a legal perspective. I think that's what that what's what it should be about is a woman's right to choose, um, and. You know, it is. It's a fundamental right. I mean, body body autonomy, body sovereignty. I mean, frankly, we heard that argument being made by a lot of our uh, friends on the right, our, our Trump MAGA friends that were all about my body, my choice when it came to vaccines and even when it came to masks. Um, and I'm generally supportive of that idea of bodily sovereignty. And when you look at the case of abortion, well, that's it's the same principle. You know, that a woman has a right over her own body to manage her own body. And just because she becomes pregnant doesn't mean that she suddenly doesn't have the right to manage her own body. If she's pregnant, yeah, she has a fetus growing in her. But people are you know saying, well, the right of the child, you know, is what we need to talk about. But there, A, there is no child. B, the fetus doesn't have rights, and I'm going to get into that in a moment. Um, but more importantly is that they're, they're saying that the right of a potential human is greater than the right of an actual human, <laughs> of a person that is alive. So for me, this was when I was a college student at UC San Diego, this was the first really important or big political topic that I explored. I mean, like during high school, I was very politically naive, unaware. Um, I was too focused on BMX racing and other things in my life. Well, when I got to college, you know, you're kind of opened up to a whole new set of ideas and different people and different perspectives. And this was the first issue I kind of wrestled with. And it became clear to me, this is all about, yeah, you have you have a control of your life. You have a right to your own life. And this is a, such a fundamental issue. Um, and that has largely shaped me in terms of how I've gone down my sort of political awakening and how I've evolved on politics is kind of consistent on this idea that you have a right to your own life, that your life is yours to live. And you should have the liberty to make your own choices. And that's what this podcast is all about. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, some comments online from Amanda Scheifen Matala, and she says Roe v. Wade protected marginalized populations from states that historically didn't see women or people of color as quote unquote people. They needed federal protection, and now it's gone. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, a lot of 
you know, our, you know I, I'd like to say in a friendly f- fashion, our friends on the right or our friends on the left, because, you know, I'm not right wing and I'm not left wing. I mean, frankly, I'm not center. I'm kind of in a different spot politically, you know, because I'm a supporter of individual rights. I mean, I've kind of made that clear over and over again. Uh, our friends on the right claim to be supporters of the founding fathers and, you know, what America is supposed to be all about. But there in the preamble of the Constitution, it says all men are created equal. Now, what does that mean? I mean, that means that not men, males, it means that all humans are created equal. What that really means is kind of, if depending on your point of view, equal in the eyes of God or really are equal in the eyes of the law. They're, they're equal when it, you know, when it comes to the law. So, when there are so-called marginalized populations, whether they be people of color or women or we can make a list, the fact that those people don't have equal rights is a direct violation of what America is supposed to be about. We're supposed to have all have equal rights, right? So, yeah, I agree with you, uh, Amanda, that uh, that people have been, you know, really not treated as as, you know, full fledged people with all of the rights that are and freedoms that are available to everyone here in America. Um, Amanda goes on to say, I never thought this would happen either. And yeah, me too. I mean, this is still is blowing me away that this actually happened. Um, Amanda goes on to say, since this is, oh, I should click on this so I can show you the text. Um, since this is up to each state, how do you think this will play out for November elections? Asking because there is speculation that people are more concerned about the economy while I feel this will be at the top. Well, that's a good point. What was it? James Carville. Remember, he made that famous uh, quote because he was running Clinton's uh, campaign back in 92. And he said, it's the economy, stupid. And in many ways, that is sort of the most important issue in a lot of elections. Uh, But, yeah, this is going to be a huge issue. I think this this is going to drive a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't vote to come out and vote. I think it's going to um, it's going to kind of rally Democrats to really show up at the polls. Um, I think, yeah, I think this could seriously backfire on the Republicans because, you know, like I said, two thirds, three quarters of America are pro-choice to varying degrees. Um, and uh, the, those that, you know, are really hardcore anti-choice are a very small fraction of society. That's what the other part that makes us so horrific is that is that, uh, you know, a very small group of, you know, a small percentage of America has been able to drive this and get us to this point. Um, So, you know, some people say uh, we are going backwards. Right. You've heard that comment made. And it's an interesting way to think of it is, yeah, in, in many ways we are going backwards. But, you know, backwards, according to what metric? Well, I I think this is sort of, you know, backwards in the, in, in the metric of rights or, and, or along the lines of freedom. We're kind of, in this case, rolling the clock back to what, 1973 or something like that? You know, so, um, yeah, I'd say so. It is kind of a form of going backwards. I, I was just, you know, I was on, gosh, what was it, YouTube or Twitter? And I saw this video and it was an old video and it was of um, Debbie Reynolds. Remember her? She was Carrie Fisher's mom. And she was talking about how when she was young, uh, she was her, her first pregnancy. She had a, uh, you know, a fetus growing inside her. And then around month seven, around month seven, the fetus died and it was against the law 
for them to remove the, the fetus from her body um, because she had to see it through to full term. Um, and she was horrified by this whole thing. And it finally got to the point where it, it became a risk to her life because there was this, you know, essentially a dead organism inside her. Um, that threatened Debbie Reynolds' own life. And then eventually they were able to allow the, you know, the abortion or the removal of the dead fetus. It just, it sounds creepy, but I mean, this is really important. How could you not have the right to your own body? <laughs> um, and then later on, she said she got pregnant again. The same thing happened. Um, and this time the doctors, you know, were, gave her some certain amount of flexibility. They kind of ignored the law and allowed her to abort like in the sixth or seventh month because the fetus was dead. So it was remarkable. But if you talk about this whole idea of we're going backwards, you know, like I said, along what metric, you know, is it, is it rights or freedom or is it just historically rolling the clock back? Well, one thing I like to think about is, you know, I talk about my friends on the right. And my friends on the left. And that's how we typically see the way politics are aligned, right? That there's a right wing and a left wing. And we sort of see it as a line, right? And, and you're somewhere on that continuum, on that spectrum. And then some people are in the middle. And they're, they're moderate, uh, centrist, if you will. But there's a lot of people that they just don't fit on that line, right? Like, like for example, there are some people that on – like for myself, on – liberty issues, on freedom issues, um, like about your person, you know, your rights as an individual, as a person, I'm probably more on the left um, when it comes to things like abortion and gay rights and, you know, um, legalization of marijuana and a lot of these other things. But then on the other hand, on the right wing, um, you historically or stereotypically think of right wing as being for uh, lowering business regulations and and uh, lowering taxes and and more free markets. Now, granted, that's not true anymore, but that's what it used to be. At least that's how people thought of it. And I'm kind of over there when it comes to like business or economic issues. So what's interesting is, is that there's a new paradigm that was created back in well, it's not new anymore, but it was created in 1969 um, by a guy named David Nolan, and it's called the Nolan Chart. And what he did is, rather than seeing it as a one-dimensional line, left versus right, he created almost like a a two-dimensional, um, uh, you know, space, almost like an X Y graph or an X Y coordinates, and. Along one, along the x-axis, if you will, was the, your economic freedom. The further to the right you went is the freer you wanted ec the economy to be. And the further to the left is the more government authority you wanted over the economy. And then on the y-axis, it was about personal liberties or personal freedom. So the higher up you went, you were for more individual liberty, like the right to choose on abortion, the right um, to, you know, to, for recreational drugs, the the right, you know, for immigrants to visit America, you know, and then if you were for less personal freedom, then you were, you know, not at the bottom of the y-axis. And then you sort of get a two-dimensional perspective. And to me, this is very interesting. And so if you look at it along that perspective, I would I would argue this. I would say that going back many decades, we have been going backwards on economic freedom. There's been more and more regulations, more and more central planning, more and more government control of the economy. 
Um, and I mean, we can cite countless examples of this. You know, a lot of the the regulatory, uh, you know, uh, powers that were put in after the Great Recession and Obamacare. Um, I mean, all the bailouts of corporations and all the regulations that are involved with all of that. I mean, there there has been more and more restrictions on entrepreneurism. Um, it's more and more difficult to start a business. Heck, here in my hometown of Poway, I was just reading about a new restaurant that's been trying to open, and they're trying to get approval from our city um, inspectors to you know, essentially sign off and let them start an open business. But they've been in this limbo stage for like three or four months because they can't get the city officials to come out and sign off on their business. I mean, this is like, that's a small example, but it's one of so many where I think our economic liberties, we have been going backwards. But really, for the longest time, on the personal liberty side, we have been going forward. We have been having great progress, if you will. And there has been, you know, the the Roe versus Wade um, offering pro-choice on abortion. Gay marriage is now allowed. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of other things, you know, decriminalization of marijuana in many states. Um, that's all good, in my opinion. Uh, so, but now... Even the personal freedom as side of it is starting to go backwards. So now we've got Roe being overturned. Now the, the Supreme Court is now saying, well, now we can look at a lot of other things. Like um, we can now maybe reexamine gay marriage. We can reexamine interracial marriage. I mean, heck, there was a uh, – I think it's a an attorney general or an attorney general candidate in the state of Texas that was saying that – you know, if if these rules are rolled back and and sodomy suddenly becomes illegal, he's going to go out and per- persecute that. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, this is definitely we are trending backwards. Um, so it's uh, it is shocking and it is very, very concerning to me um, because. Our ability to manage our own life, either in our personal uh, dimension or in our business economic dimension is being further and further restricted. Now, by the way, if you want to learn more about that Nolan chart I was talking about, there's a thing online. It's really cool. It's called the world's smallest political quiz. And you can Google it. Um, I don't have the URL, but just Google world's smallest political quiz. And it's a really simple thing. And they just ask you 10 questions and they'll ask you, you know, what do you think about gun rights or what do you think about um, immigration or what do you think about, uh, you know, a, a business regulation? I mean, most of the hot, you know, abortion certainly is on that list. Most of the kind of the hot button issues in, in politics, only like 10 questions and you answer them. And then the, what they do is they plot you on that chart that I described. Like it's, you know, it's kind of like a graph that we had when we were in high school, like in algebra class. And you'll kind of see where you align. And it, it's, it's eye-opening because I think there's a lot of people that consider themselves moderates or centrists that on some policies they agree with the Democrats, on some policies they agree with the Republicans, but then on other policies they disagree with both of them. And they kind of feel sort of homeless politically, and that's why they're independent, and some have gone on to become third party. But if you see that smallest political quiz, you can kind of see yourself kind of in a new perspective. And I, to me, it was really eye-opening. Um, and it gave me a greater insight onto who I was and sort of where I fit in this whole um, discussion. Um, but still, I think you, you go into a lot of elections and sometimes you'll ask people, you know, 
how do you line up politically? And some people will say, oh, you know, I'm progressive or I'm conservative or I'm a moderate. And then sometimes you'll hear people say, and I, and I used to say this, is that I'm fiscally conservative but socially liberal. And that kind of sort of reconciles those two points of view, right? Um, that I don't agree with the Republicans. And I don't agree with the Democrats. I'm in this different space where I want to have – I want the government out of my business life and out of my personal life, <laughs> both. You know, some people say, get the government out of the boardroom and the bedroom. And that was kind of where I lined up. And so this to kind of frame it in a perspective that a lot of people sort of understood. I used to say that well, I'm socially liberal and fiscally conservative. Well, now who's fiscally conservative anymore? I mean, the Republicans certainly aren't. I mean, you used to think that, right, that the Republicans were for low taxes and balanced budgets and free trade and lowering regulations. No, they're not. <laughs> they're not at all. Uh, and, and and so it's almost like we're trending in the direction of of fiscally liberal and socially ooh, conservative. Like, oh, my God, it's like the worst of both worlds, the direction we're trending. And so, yeah, it is backwards. So, okay, well, we're rolling here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. I mean, I, again, I invite your questions and comments. I'm going to get into this idea of what is a right. Because I think this is important to get into. And then we'll talk a little bit about Billy the Kid. Um, and by the way, the Padre game's going on right now. Um, they're having a day game in Arizona. Last I checked, there was no score. Does anyone have an update? Let me know. Type it in on the chat. All right, so let's talk about a right. And what are rights? Because you hear people say that so flippantly. Oh, you know, I have a right to this. Uh, I have a, you know, a free speech rights. And I have a, you know, there's gun rights and there's states rights. And, and other people say, no, health care should be a right. And education is a right. And everyone does, has a right to a good job and a good home. Um, you, you know, what are rights? I mean, really, what, what are rights? You know, some, are they entitlements or are they... You know, what are they? So, you know, I, I'm looking up what are rights. And, and to me, I like if you look at it, like look at the Bill of Rights as, as an example. So that, you know, and here's a, a piece that I, I was able to discover online. So the Republic at its beginning, which is America, grew its present strength under the protection of certain inalienable political rights. Among them, the right of free speech. Free press, free worship, trial by jury, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures. These were our rights of life and liberty. So, yeah, that's, that's the Bill of Rights. Is It gives us freedom, freedom to live our life. And what a great time to talk about this because what in on what is it? It's going to be Monday is Independence Day, right? Um, July 4th. And what a great time to reflect on those rights. I mean, those are the this is where the founding values of America. This is good stuff. But then remember, um, if you kind of roll back the history books a bit and go to Franklin Delano Roosevelt's time, he talked about a second Bill of Rights. And this wasn't an official Bill of Rights, but it was sort of a statement of principle, a vision statement of what FDR and a lot of uh, progressives believed in and they still believe in today. And this second Bill of Rights was a right to a useful job in the industries um, in the nation, a right to earn enough to provide adequate food and clothing and, and, and for recreation, 
a right for every farmer to raise and sell his products that at a return that will give him a, a, a good standard of living, a right of every business to be able to trade without unfair competition from monopolies, the right of every family to a decent home, the right to adequate medical care, which is what we're hearing all the time now is single payer health care. You know, health care is a right. Um, the right to adequate protection from the economic fears of old age, sickness, accident, unemployment, the right to a good education. Now, some of these are rights. I think in the state of California, one could argue that K through 12 education is a right, is that everyone can go and even Ill- illegal immigrants can go. And there's no cost, no expense. I mean, other than the taxpayers paying for it. Um, and I think a lot of these other rights in FDR's you know, sort of second bill of rights are a good part of the progressive agenda. But these are all very different. You know, they kind of approach rights from different perspectives. Now, in my opinion, a right is like a moral principle, you know, because some people say, and I believe this is true, is that rights come before government. Rights precede government. So a right is a moral principle for an individual to have the freedom of action in a social context. So, you know, that means that our right to is our right to do things is our right to not be coerced. Our a right is a freedom, like the right of free speech is that we can say what we want to say without fear that we're going to be punished by and, and, and thrown in the gulag. You know, we have the freedom to express ourselves. That's the same thing with the, the, the right to uh, the freedom of religion is that we have the freedom to express ourselves, um, you know, in the religious dimension, if you will. Um, and ultimately, this kind of comes down to the fundamental, right, which is the right to your own life. We talk about inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Your right to your own life. You are in control of you. You make decisions about you. You, I'm not, I often used to say you own you, but it's not really ownership. It's that you are sovereign. You are, you have a mind, you can think, you can reason, and you can make decisions um, based on your own, you know, best interest, your own self-interest. You can, you can use your own judgment and do what you think is best for you. Those, that right to your own life. I mean, before you used to not be able to do that because you were under the thumb of a dictator or a king or you were a serf in a feudal situation or, or hor- horrifically you were a slave. You didn't have a right to your own life. But America was founded on that very value. Um, so all of these other rights, like right to free speech and your right to, um, you know, not – not have searches and seizures without warrants. All of those are, you know, the rights that are in the Bill of Rights are basically just extensions of the idea that you have a right to your own life. So in that context, a right is a is the freedom to act. It's the right of an individual to act freely in their own self-interest without coercion from someone else in a social context. You know, and a social context is important because if you are on a deserted island, Well, then rights don't mean anything, you know, because there's no one there to violate you. (laughs) There's no one there to coerce you. There's no one there to put a gun to your head and rob you. There's no one there to throw you in jail for saying bad things about, you know, your your um, your your leader. 
So rights only exist in a social context. And now that's why, in my opinion, when you go, let's go back to the abortion issue. A fetus doesn't have rights. Well, first of all, a fetus is not individualized, so they can't have individual rights. They are still really part of the mother's body. The, the, and, and like I said, the rights are a freedom of action, a freedom to make choices and to act. But a fetus can't really act. It, it can't really, I mean, it moves, but it's not like it can say, okay, well, today I'm going to go for a jog. <laughs> or today I'm going to write a paper about um, the about, about the Declaration of Independence. You know, a fetus can't act. And a fetus isn't in a social context, like a real social context. So in my opinion, a fetus doesn't have rights. I mean, frankly, rights don't really apply to a fetus. Now, the woman involved, and I don't say mother, I'm specific. The woman, because you're not a mother until the baby is born. So the, the woman, well, she has rights to her life. She has the liberty to choose and to pursue her own happiness. That's why I always said that abortion is just so such a fundamental right. Because if you become pregnant and you are essentially forced to have that child, that radically changes your life. I mean, it'll it'll have a huge impact on your career, a huge impact depending on what your age is on on your ability to, you know, to go to college, to get a higher education, to get a, a degree. It'll affect your ability, you know, to raise the child, but you still want to pursue a career. It creates all these challenges and difficulties. It may have disruption with the relationships with your family or with the, you know, the, the person who impregnated you. I mean, and then frankly, there's a lot of cases where, you know, a woman wants to terminate that pregnancy because of rape or incest or, you know, in some cases because their life is a threat. That's why I always thought that, yeah, a woman's fundamental right to choose is the primary, the right to her own life. So what's interesting is, is that when you look at a lot of these other rights, these so-called rights, um, like the right to health care, the right to a good home, well, those are sort of in conflict with rights of freedom of action, right? I mean, because let's just say hypothetically, if you believe that there is a right to health care, health care should be a right, you know, single payer health care. Well, in order to provide health care as a right, you have to get the money from other people. So you have to essentially violate their rights and coercively take money from them so you can fund the health care for the people that you want to provide it to as a right. So that's why a lot of FDR's kind of second bill of rights, I always thought were in conflict with what America is supposed to be about. Um, and, you know, here's like an interesting way to look at it. It's kind of a test is, is someone else has to give you something rather than just not harming you, then it's not a right. <laughs> if someone is forced to provide funding or provide a service to you, then it's not a right. Now, one might say it's an entitlement that violates the rights of someone else, but yeah, that's what it could be. So yeah, we're going backwards. There's no doubt about it. Um, a couple more comments here uh, from an anonymous Facebook user. 
Mary Miller thanked Donald Trump for saving white lives with this decision and then said she misspoke. This is awful. And I saw that clip. Now, I do believe she misspoke because if you listen to it, she kind of stuttered. And um, and it was almost like a – what do they call that? A uh, um, uh, a Freudian slip, I think is what it was. And it's horrific. I mean, it's a terrible comment to make. You know, it's for saving white lives. But my goodness. Uh, we don't need religion running our government. And that's ultimately what this is about. I mean, on one level, it's religion. On another level, it's about control over other women. And it's horrific. So, yeah, it's definitely going backwards. Okay. Um, We're at 32 minutes. Um, I'm going to kind of switch gears, switch topics. Um, Unless we have more to talk about with rights and abortion, I mean, just let me know. Feel free to type them in on the live stream, and I'd be happy to read your comments on the air. Okay. So uh, I want to address one point. I'm going to talk about Billy the Kid, which is the show I just watched on Epics. It's really good, and I want to explain it without giving it away. But I do want to talk about one thing in my hometown of Poway. And this is something that involves me in my hometown of Poway. And we're getting into election season, right? And uh, it's, you know, the, the November is when the election season is. The filing opportunity opens up, I think, like in mid to late July and closes in early August where candidates can file. And there's going to be uh, multiple seats open on our local Poway City Council. And there's already a number of candidates, two candidates in particular, that have declared for District 1. And I've talked about them on this podcast here, Hiram Soto and um, Brian Pepin. But so far, no candidates are announced. And by the way, for District 1, that's because Dave Grush is likely retiring or stepping down. Yeah, retiring is the right word. Uh, He won't seek a fourth term. And uh, no, Pat Johnson says, you have to run, exclamation point. Um, And then District 3 is the other one, which is currently held by John Mullen. And there is speculation that John Mullen is also going to uh, retire. Uh, But there has been no formal announcement. And frankly, I don't think there's been a formal announcement that Dave Grush is going to retire. But in District 3 in John Mullen's uh, district, as far as I know, there are no announced candidates to run against him. And then, of course, for mayor, Steve Voss, um, you know, Buck Howdy, our mayor in, in Poway, his seat's coming up. And it's, and I know that uh, Yuri Bolin is likely to run. He hasn't announced yet. But really, there aren't a lot of candidates coming forward yet. So I had made a comment online that I, in, in one of the, you know, one of our local Poway Facebook groups, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm really hopeful that a lot more candidates come forward. You know, that it's so it becomes a, an exciting political season. Uh, and then some people said I should run and they recommended that I run. And you know, that's an interesting thought. I mean, because I live in District 3 and District 3 is John Mullen's seat, which is, you know, is up for election. Um, and some people said, oh, yeah, like Pat Johnson says, you have to run. And someone else said I, I should run or encourage me to. In fact, Amanda, I think it might have been you that might have clicked on the like button on that. I think I saw that. Um, I'm not going to run. I mean, I ran in 2014 for our school board and and uh, lost by just 1%. But And that was a thrilling campaign season. I really had a great time. Met so many great people. Um, and it was really fun to express my thoughts and ideas. But no, I'm not going to run. Um, I've... Uh, 
there's nothing as far as I'm concerned, there are no big problems in Poway to solve. A lot of the big, I'll say, problems in Poway that a lot of people object to, I don't object to. You know, I'm on record. I support a lot of the development in the city uh, for a lot of different reasons. But there's nothing really compelling me to like, there's no like big problem that I want to go in and address. And so no, I won't, but I'm I'm not going to rule it out. I think in the, in the future, um, I definitely may run again for an office, but if I do, I don't know if I would run necessarily locally. I might run for something of a larger scope, like a statewide or countywide, but probably not with the expectation that I would ever win. Uh, because I'm not a member of either party. I'm an independent. You know, in order to win any of these bigger elections, you have to have the machine of the political party out there supporting you. Um, and a lot of times you can't get donations unless you are part of that machine. And I refuse to do that. But I may end up running in the future just so I have like kind of a um, a platform to kind of share my thoughts just like this. And in many ways, uh, use it as an opportunity to educate and speak out on issues that maybe aren't really being spoken to. Uh, so in the future, I may, but in 2014, I definitely won't. Uh, Pat Johnson says, John Riley for mayor, a man of the truth. Well, thank you, Pat. Uh, I like to think that I am a man of the truth. At least that's at least my version of the truth, which I think is the truth. But um, yeah, I won't be running. So I just wanted to address that. Uh, okay. Finally, let's talk about Billy the Kid. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I on my last podcast, I think I told you about the the Netflix series Dark that I had watched, which was really, really good. Um, and uh, and so when that finished, you know, you want to watch something new. And uh, I don't subscribe to every one of the streaming services, so I'm always hunting for something. And I saw that I had already subscribed to Epics because I was I, I liked that War of the World show. That was kind of fun. And there were a couple of other really good series on, on Epics that I really liked. Um, Belgravia was one of them. And, and anyway, so I had that subscription and Billy, the kid came available and I'm generally like Westerns. And so I said, you know, okay, I'm going to go in on this. And everyone sort of knows about Billy, the kid, right? You know, this, this, he was a young kid, right? He was like a teenager and he was part of the wild West, the mythology of, um, Western expansionism. And he lived a very short life and it's been glorified. He's been glorified. He's been the subject of articles, um, in major newspapers back in the day. I mean, he was getting a lot of publicity in New York and in San Francisco for his adventures in New Mexico and Arizona back in the day. But there's been books and movies and all kinds of things about Billy the Kid. And I sort of knew part of it, but I was intrigued by it. So it's this is was season one, and there's eight episodes. And they're about an hour long each, so it's not that hard to, to go through. And it's there's clearly going to be a season two uh, because they haven't told the full story. That's assuming that the the series continues. But the cool part that really captivated me right from the beginning was that he is a family of Irish immigrants and immigrants that came from Ireland, settled in New York City in in the 1860s, and they struggled. Um, as Irish immigrants to find work. They struggled with discrimination against the Irish in New York City. Um, He was born in 1859, which was the same year that my great-grandfather was born. Um, So, you know, I I, I do a lot of exploration of my own ancestry, um, and I'm just fascinated by the whole idea of my ancestors leaving the southern part of Ireland in the Cork and Munster areas uh, coming to America, 
you know, either to Boston or New York City. And then my my um, upline on my father's side, they all went to Butte, Montana and worked in the copper mines and eventually went to San Francisco. On my mother's side, they came almost directly to San Francisco. Um, and that's, you know, there's a huge Irish contingent in the city up there. But I was always fascinated by how how they got from New York City to Butte, <laughs> you know, because that must have been such a difficult journey. Even when the Transcontinental Railroad was finished, when was that finished? Like 1868, I think. And that was a huge achievement for human progress. But not everyone took the not everyone took the the train to go westward. And so that's what made this so interesting to me because they show how they left New York City with very little and they spent every dollar they had, every penny they had to hire people to take them west. And they had identified a city in Kansas where they wanted to move to and they encountered all kinds of horrific dangers. In fact, I think um, one of the I think it might have been Billy the Kid's uncle was killed um, by hoodlums on the road, and they had to endure huge hardships along the way. And I was really thinking about that in terms of my own family. And the crazy thing is it wasn't that long ago. I mean, like I said, Billy the Kid was born in the same year as my great-grandfather. That's not that many generations back. And um, we're talking, you know, I was born in the mid-60s. So we're talking about, gosh, 80 years before I was born is when they were making this, they were traveling um, from New York City to Kansas. I mean, it's really not that long ago. Um, And I'm always generally fascinated with that period of time, you know, that period of time in the late 19th century, particularly between the time in between the Civil War and World War I, because that's when America really grew up and America became the most powerful nation on the planet. That's when capitalism really started kicking in gear and businesses were created and tremendous amounts of wealth were created, not just for the uber rich, but really throughout society. Um, You know, prior to capitalism, you know, 95% of the world was dirt poor. And now because of this economic growth in America, there was opportunity and The opportunity was so great that millions of people all around the world flocked to America, just like the Irish immigrants, like my upline, like Billy the Kid's upline. Um, So it's a it's a time of of great progress, a lot of activity, um, a lot of innovation in the in the form of, um, you know, planes, trains, automobiles. I mean, granted, that's some of that's after Billy the Kid. But to me, it's really interesting. And the whole idea of the westward expansion and conquering the great west uh, and the beauty of the western states as they migrated. I mean, to me, it's a fascinating time. Um, And I've always loved a lot of the old western movies just for that very reason. Um, And, you know, it's a time where people are kind of betting on themselves, taking great risks um, and something you often don't see too much today for multi-generational American families. But immigrants that come to America do that. They take great risks to come here um, and they bet on themselves. I mean, frankly, what we, would the, we just heard the horrific news of the immigrants that tried to come to America and where, where they were in that semi-truck and like, what is it, 23 died? Terrible. Um, I think they, they found that truck, I think it was in San Antonio. Um, I mean, I can go on a tangent about immigration laws, but the point being is that people, when they came to America, they, they, 
they risked everything. They walked away from their family and their multiple, their, their long history in the nations where they were raised. And they came here just seeking a new life and they were betting on themselves. I mean, it's just fabulous time. Well, um, for Billy the Kid, and I'm not going to give away too much, but they they uh, they immigrated to to Kansas, and during the, that time, it was interesting because he lost both his mother and his his younger brother to what they call consumption, which I think is tuberculosis. So this kind of goes. This is before they had. I guess a vaccine for tuberculosis had not yet been invented or they didn't have treatment for it. So there's a lot of people that lost their lives because of that. In fact, when I go back and look at the, the certificates of death in my, my own family upline, uh, that I see that as a frequent cause of death, consumption. It's kind of a funny name, you know, now that we know more about it, we call it tuberculosis. But you learn that Billy the Kid was actually a really good kid at heart. I mean, he did the right thing. He supported his family, really supported his mom. Um, you know, the, he lost his father kind of to, to depression and a lot of other problems with his father. He basically checked out in life and then eventually died. Um, and so you, he was kind of this good kid. He was trying to do the right thing. But then around by the age of 15, he was an orphan. He lost his mother. He lost his father. He lost his younger brother. He was suddenly on his own. And so he was trying to make his way in the world. And by this time, they were in um, New Mexico. I think they were in Santa Fe. And he uh, ends up, you know, getting into situations where he gets in fights and ends up killing some people in self-defense. And he ends up becoming notorious in the area. Largely, he was unaware of his notoriety because there were wanted posters for him throughout New Mexico. There were big stories written about him on the East and West Coast and all the big newspapers. He was a celebrity of his time, and he was largely unaware of his celebrity, which was, which was crazy as this whole thing went, um, went on. And then eventually, you know, you kind of get to the key conflict in the show that is written about in the history books in Lincoln County, New Mexico. And it's essentially these two business people that have their own sort of fiefdoms and their rivals. And you learn that, uh, you know, one business person is the good guy, at least how it's portrayed in the show. And the other business person in his group are the bad guys. And the bad guys, you know, they're the ones that have bought off the politicians, bought off the judges, they're cronies. They've distorted and rigged the system for their own benefit. And the good guys, just, of course, just want to be able to provide good, um, you know, deal with people honestly and fairly and trade fairly. And Billy, the kid, was actually aligned with the bad guys. Um, he later switched to the good guy side. But uh, the crazy part of this is, is that of the bad guys, the, th the three bad business leader, business people leaders, one of them, his name is John Riley. <laughs> so, and they're, you know, because they're all these Irish immigrants uh, that are there. And I think one of the other bad guys was, his last name was Murphy. Uh, but it was just crazy to see my name in that show. And then wouldn't you have it as one of the bad guys. Um, but it, it's, it's just cool because like a lot of the themes I talk about in this podcast about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, in many ways, Billy the Kid was sort of living that to the best that he could. I mean, he was very independent because he had to be as an orphan. Um, he showed a lot of integrity because, you know, he, when he was aligned with the bad guys and he eventually switched to be aligned with the good guys, he was trustworthy. He was, he was honest. Um, now, granted, they, the, the writers of the show had a, took a lot of creative license with, with history 
So you wonder how much of it is true. But, but the other kind of the underlying theme of the show, which is great, was about justice. You know, in, in this sort of wild, wild west where a lot of people were robbing and cheating and stealing and there really wasn't an, an established infrastructure of police and a judicial system, et cetera. You know, it was a kind of a anything goes sort of an environment. And so you see a lot of that play out in this where the lack of a, of a true justice system, I think, is part of the reason why Billy the Kid ended up getting in trouble in the first place. If there was a justice system, he never would have been a bad guy. Um, because he he ended up having to kill people for his own self-defense, at least in the beginning. Um, so, it, you know, justice, again, a big part of what we talk about on this podcast. I mean, what's justice? It's ultimately getting what you deserve. So it just was a really good show. I, mean, I, I loved it. It was like it's a Western. It's, it's a, you know, Irish. The Irish immigrant angle was cool. It is kind of a slow-paced show. See, I mean, it's not a big action show, and they kind of trudge along. But everything else was so good. I just really liked it. Uh, and a lot of other people liked it too. So in, you know, you ever go to IMDB, the internet movie database. So they rated it a 7.0. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, which is a good place to go for reviews. The Tomato Meter, which I think is from the critics, they only had it at 50%. Um, but the audience liked it at 82%. So it's a good show. I mean, give it a shot. I, I really enjoyed it. I like Dark better. Um, you know, Dark was the show that was kind of like the German version of Stranger Things. Um, and it involved time travel and a lot of other crazy stuff. That was a really good show. Uh, and this was good too, but not quite as good. So um, check out Billy the Kid. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, I want to say, hey, you know, if you're sticking with us, and we see we got three people watching right now live, thank you. If you're watching live, you know, give it a thumbs up if you could. I mean, that helps out in the algorithm. The more thumbs up we get, you know, the more positive, um, good vibes, good energy is going to be flowing. It helps in the algorithm so we can, you know, rank higher on people's uh, on people's news feeds. But, you know, if you want to learn more, go to my website, go to johnreillyproject.com. You can get all of our old episodes, got blog articles out there, got, uh, uh, you know, a lot of additional resources. So feel free to check that out. Um, and I'm going to have some more updates on some of the more of the things I'm doing online with some of my e-commerce projects. I'll share those with you probably in the next episode. Um, so that's that's all I got for you today, friends. Um, I'll come back at you. I'll do this every Wednesday at 2. I enjoy this time slot. And um, you know, on, on Independence Day, on July 4th, I may do a July 4th podcast, maybe. Uh, so keep your eyes peeled for potentially a live stream on July 4th. And maybe we can talk about Independence Day and what it means to you, you know, in terms of American history, in terms of your family, and maybe some of the crazy stories you remember from Independence Day in your youth. And actually, I have a few that I could share. So uh, we'll talk maybe about that. So that, that's something maybe I'll try to do on the holiday as a, a special Independence Day show. Okay, friends, uh, that's it. I want to get back to the Padre game. Hopefully they got a, they're winning the game by now. But thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. This is episode number 269 of the John Riley Project. Have a great day, friends. Tony Russo, chime in on the live stream. What's up, Johnny? As always, great show. Tony, I want to ask you a question, if you're still there. Are you running for office? And you hinted about it. And I don't know if you've announced it or not. And I'm not even sure what district you're in. I always thought you lived in District 2, and District 2 isn't, doesn't have an opening. Or maybe do you live in District 3? Um, are you running? Type in there on the live stream, Tony. Let me know. 
I'm interested in learning. You know, Tony, you're a very you, – you are running. Okay, bravo. So are you running for District 1 or District 3 or are you running for mayor? District 3. Okay, excellent. Excellent. So, Tony, we'll have to have you on the podcast again. Um, you were one of my first guests. I think you were my second guest. Pete Neal was number one. You were number two. You were my episode number four. And now we're on 269. And, Tony, I'll, I'll just say this about you. Man, you are well-liked in this town. There's so many people that know you, that support you, that love you, um, and um, and you you kind of like being out there. I mean, you're always you know live streaming and sharing on all of our Facebook uh, groups here in town. Uh, so good for you for running. I'm 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 very happy that you're going to be running again, and I want to learn more about what you're you're all about. You know, if you if your platform is going to be similar to what it was four years ago. And Tony on the live stream says, yeah, we will, John. And always, I had a blast. And it was great. So, um, you know, this podcast, I always open it up for all political candidates, whether you're running in my local city of Poway for city council, mayor, school district. You know, historically, we've had about two-thirds of the candidates come on this show. Um, But even if you're running outside of my hometown area, if you're running for Congress, if you're running for Senate, if you're running for county supervisor, if you're running for governor, if you're running for state assembly, if you're running for mayor in another city, whether it's in Encinitas or San Diego or Oceanside, or you're running for mayor in Uvalde, Texas, you know, I'd love to talk to you because uh, having political candidates is a great opportunity to have uh, some good discussion on current events and on important values in our nation. And I enjoy that. So that, ex- that offer is always out there. And uh, if you're interested and you want to schedule something, go to my website, go to johnreillyproject.com, fill out a form, or you can email me at john at johnreillyproject.com. And I will get your email and we can schedule you in. Okay, that's it, friends. I got to get back to the Padre game and wrap up some work for my clients that I'm working on. Until next Wednesday or maybe until Independence Day, I'm hoping to do that. Uh, we'll catch you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, audio podcast platforms, and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.